Corporate Unplugged opens the door to a world of people transforming business. They share their dreams, their experiences, and what they would never give up. Hey everybody, this is Vesna Luca, and you're listening to the Corporate Unplugged podcast for people shaping the future of business. On the show today, Stefan Beiten, entrepreneur, lawyer, film producer, and public speaker. So welcome to my podcast, Stefan. Thank you, Vesna. Glad to be here. Thank you for inviting me. But yeah, I'm really happy that our paths have crossed also thanks to our joint friend, Marie uh, Ringler. So I know that you're based in Berlin and Amsterdam, and uh, I also know that you have... Um, you could say three instruments in your hands to create value. Uh, number one is your your investment holding company, Argo Ventures, uh, where you have founded and co-founded more than 20 companies on two continents in three decades. Uh, and then you have a second vehicle, which is Greenlight Media, where you've produced uh, global classics such as uh, the Deep Blue and the Planet Earth. And then the third vehicle is the Argonauts, which is your initiative or actually your, your global community for innovators, executives and uh, entrepreneurs. And there you want to inspire them as changemakers to find their own meaning. So I would like to suggest that we dig in first into the Argonauts uh, and discuss how do you want to empower these um, purposeful leaders to like, solve real world problems? Uh, how, how do you go about this? What I believe in this is that we need a complete paradigm shift in leadership. The world that I personally grew up in, the narrative that I was born into was the classic transactional leadership mindset, the mechanistic thinking model of the world, um, the 80s, 90s, early 2000s. And for the past 10 years plus, I've experienced, and I think we've experienced, uh, a paradigm shift. Uh, the world is, has grown more and more complex by the day, uh, more uncertain. And with that complexity, the old model of leading oneself, having conversations with oneself and others, is not working any longer. It, it has its limitations. So that old, what I call the IQ-based, the cognitive uh, intelligence model only, well, it has come to an end. So what to do now? What is the next kind of leadership? We have a consciousness that is far greater than just our cognitive mind. And to expand that consciousness is the name of the game. So conscious leadership, that is the answer to those complexities, to those new times. So Stefan, what about your own meaning and purpose today? My purpose is to bring trust and purpose to the world, the world that kind of has, feels like we, we, we feel lost. We feel, uh, who can we trust? Uh, we feel... The institutions that we believed will be there forever are now all in question. It feels to whoever I talk to, and it doesn't matter to CEOs or employees or single entrepreneurs, they all, they all describe the same thing. What can we trust in? What is my responsibility? What can I bring to the world? Have I truly lived the, the potential that I was born into? And so my purpose is to provide spaces to allow people, to allow leaders that define themselves as change makers, as paradigm shifters, as people inspirers, to find those answers for themselves and for others they lead. And do people typically find that very difficult, even if they are in a safe space and with the right kind of people to support them? But what's your experience? It is not an easy one. And it is not an easy journey, uh, and not a journey that is for everyone. 
it's also <laughs> the reason why I chose the original myth of the Argonauts as the naming myth for the Argonauts, for, for, for the platform that I'm building. So the original myth was about, there was a guy that said, hey, we need to find the golden fleece, the metaphorical fulfillment in life. And for that, I'm going to build a ship, a strong, fastest ship that, that was ever built. And I will man it with the greatest heroes of the mythological Greece of that time. So he called upon the 50 leading heroes, and they all came to that beach, being at the top of their game, all of me heroes. But in order to find that metaphorical fulfillment, the golden fleece, to get on the journey together, now they needed to develop. They needed to, needed to evolve. They needed to evolve from a me hero state of mind to a we hero, to a group hero. Because when you're all of a sudden on a ship and you need to row, it's not about your personal skill set anymore. It's not about how many competencies you've accumulated, your achievements. It is, can you be in coherence with the others, with your colleagues, with your partners, with your co-heroes, and be in synchronicity, get into a flow state with them? So, And that's what I mean by creating a space that allows people to go from a me state of mind to a we state of mind. And that's what the original myth of the Argonauts is truly about. Yeah, and I was just uh, thinking about the expression we that we are using when we are thinking about, you know, a group of people, lots of us uh, embracing that somehow. And then very often, actually, I'm kind of consciously trying to change that word to sometimes to all, because then we are embracing also everything else, all kinds of life, right, that there, that is out there, including uh, nature and so on. It was just a philosophical comment. <laughs> and and uh, Stefan, I'm, I'm curious also about your passion what do you think has been your passion since the very beginning, actually? It's just that you've been more and more consciously aware of it, maybe over the last uh, past decades or so. And, and passion, as you know, comes from this um, Latin word called patire, which is really to suffer. So the passion that something that is so important to you that you're also willing to suffer for it, if needed. Very good point. The passion, the Latin word, well, um, I, I like the, the, the Greek counterpart, enthusiasm, the entheos. The, mm. the having the godly spirit within. And that really is precisely describing the entrepreneurial journey. Because whatever you want to achieve, it is, it is you need to be very passionate in order to go through the <laughs> the, the, the um, suffering of that journey that you always underestimate and always takes longer. And it's always more expensive. It always takes much more energy than you've ever anticipated. And it will only work when you are truly believing in that, that spirit, that kiss of the gods that you feel or at least project. Mm -hmm. And the combination of both, the willingness to, to go through the journey, that positive suffering and growth with full enthusiasm inside of you, that's where my passion really lies. And looking back, it was that that playfulness that goes along with being with others, building a group, building teams, inspirited teams. And interesting, um, these three words, passion, spirit, and enthusiasm, two Latin words and one, one, uh, one Greek-based word, together form a German word which is begeisterung. And it's the, mm -hmm. the English word, if it exists, it would be inspiritment. And it, it's, it's a combination of all three. And that's where I found it was my natural place of being. So besides 
being academically a historian and a lawyer, but being that playful entrepreneur, mm -hmm. having also that children-like or kids-like playfulness to keep that alive, that I found to be mostly manifested in just being an entrepreneur and uh, finding new opportunities, but embracing uh, others to, to join me on the journey and find their enthusiasm and their spirit in that common goal, but most importantly, based on the same value. And what are those values for you that are always somehow universally important to you, you know, regardless of what kind of, you know, you founded, I don't know, 20-something companies, etc. So regardless of which company, like, are there any always values always present for you that are key? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I found that there are actually, I can reduce it to three, predominant in most of the philosophies that I've studied throughout mankind, throughout the histories religions, uh, mystery schools, they all name three, which I would call meta-values. One is awareness, which what the Greeks called the gnothi seoton, the uh, know thyself, uh, the imperative of, of uh, the god Apollo. So human, find out what it truly means to be human. So being aware, or as the, the uh, yogi said, life happens in the space between. So be aware of the impulse, uh, how you fill that space between impulse and reaction because that is where where you're you as human have that's where you you can have power over it or if you don't fill that space you just react to life so be aware what is what is it does it mean to be truly alive as a human and then go at it and you know, fill it with responsibility and that's a great english word because it means are you able to respond to that impulse and if so, can you respond with responsibility, with full responsibility? And when you have those two, then you uh, move on to the next meta value, which is empathy. And empathy is a fascinating uh, word because it's it's not only means empathy for the other, but it starts with empathy for oneself. Because you cannot have empathy for others if you don't feel empathy or cannot embrace the love for oneself without falling into the narcissistic trap. And when you do that, then it goes to, are you capable of creating this third space of empathy that others can join you in? There's a, there's a great scene from Homer in the Iliad that describes precisely how the uh, how Achilles and king of uh, Troy together, mourning over the slain body of Priamos, his son, created that third space of empathy. And it's kind of a lost art. Can we really do that? Or because that is the true we space. That is, that is when we go from a me space, I just mourn, feel my own mourning. Or can we create a third space that we both enter into? So being aware, being able to respond in full responsibility and creating this space of empathy for oneself and others. Those for me are the three meta values that guide me. And that those I believe. I truly believe are the kind of the secret code to break from going from a below the line deficiency space to a growth space of mind, to going from the me space to the we space, or going from a reactive to a co-creative space in life. Interesting. And also put in that context, we all have had, you know, different kind of transformational points in our, our lives that uh, have influenced us a lot. Are there any, uh, maybe a few that you could share with us? One of the most influential moments was actually the 
um, not only one, but the premieres of the Play on Earth movie, which usually happened in 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 open spaces, all open public spaces where we created big movie theaters and then in public spaces. The best one was in San Sebastian in, in northern Spain, where you had 5,000 people watching the premiere of the Planet Earth movie. And something happened every time again and again. It changed the conversation. So unlike classic movie uh, premieres of, of action movies that we've all seen, this was different. It changed the lens with which we see the world and ourselves in connection with it, how we correlate with one another and nature and the planet we're in. There was a silence when the, uh, the movie ended that you can literally feel it was the silence and the chemistry of a flow space for everyone who's seen it. Everyone felt like they were in coherence, just like the heroes of the Argo ship, the Argonauts, when they were in sync and in synchronicity with one another. It felt like a, like a big symphony orchestra that plays Beethoven's Ninth, when 60 musicians are in absolute coherence with one another. And that was the same space. With, that, with those premieres, that movie, following those three animal heroes over the course of a year in their lives, and everyone felt we were all on that same journey with one another, on the same trip in coherence. That was one of the most predominant life-changing moments. It created a new calling. And then after that production of that, that movie, did you continue with other movies or...? Well, we had uh, quite a few others uh, going on, like mm. like Deep Blue before. We had uh, various mm. animation movies, but that was really the that was the pinnacle. Then we saw we need to use that momentum that we created, which at the end reached, uh, I believe, over a billion people globally, um, mm. from the TV series to the video streamings to the movie and the reruns of it. Until today, it's 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 being shown on, on Netflix and other platforms. And still, it is. Uh, it seems to reach people and, three, and and reach the next generation. So we saw, oh boy, there's something that touched people independent of their their culture background, their age, the industry that they're in, or wherever they're in in life. And we need to use that momentum and create something that's constant. If we can do this with one media project, how can we translate it into kind of an operating system, to use a technical term, that allows people to create or recreate that experience for themselves and others. And that led me to an experience I had with joining YPO, Global Leadership Organization, because they had a format at the core of the organization called FOR, like what, what you're using. Mm -hmm. And that was just a group of people around a, a round table following a certain conversational pro, um, protocol created, again, this flow space of coherency, of, of having a conversation, that's a different conversation. That's, those are the conversations that truly matter. And that created small aha moments. And I saw the correlation between the two. It is going from a the how and the what of the transactional world, the advice giving, the solution finding conversations that we're usually in, to the conversation that truly matter, the why conversations. And that is precisely the space that the that planet Earth opened and that the form protocol opens. So that took me to my next part of the of the journey that I'm on. Any other kind of transformational point that you want to mention uh, as we are on that theme? Well, 
the in, in combination with with those conversations that truly matter, I saw mm. um, the that one guiding common denominator that I saw in my family, in my background, and other families was the missing conversation, the missing conversation between generations, between hidden and forgotten traumas, the things that we don't speak about, and especially the conversation that we don't have with ourselves. Um, I had a, had a good friend, a mentor, who said, well, be afraid of tough conversations, but be absolutely, absolutely terrified about the conversations you're missing. Because uh, they manifest, they 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 create a lingering hurt, and that will break out in, and and taint your view uh, on yourself and and on the decisions on the on the real decisions you need to make. That is a missing art that I found that we have lost in our very transactional, mechanistic based societies. Yeah, and how do we become aware of those uh, missing conversations, right? It's all in, in some kind of awareness. Sometimes somebody else can help you become aware. They're like mirroring you or, or whatever it could be uh, or triggering some kind of event. But otherwise, it's a little bit about like finding blind spots in that sense, right? Precisely. <laughs> and at the same time, being kind to yourself and not like, oh, how didn't I see? How didn't I understand? <laughs> exactly. And, and noticing that all the achievements in my life all the skills and the competencies that I learned at university uh, or uh, my academic grades that I'm so proud of, they don't help me in this. No. They don't uh, allow me to find my blind spots. They don't allow me to listen with an open heart and an open mind to uh, be vulnerable. And it's all what we do not learn at university. To just shut off the, the problem-solving mindset and enter to a different base of consciousness that allows me to, well, be aware, be responsible, and be empathetic. I'm just curious, are you also, given that you are uh, so much an entrepreneur, are you today also looking into different, I don't know, companies, organizations that are, in a way, solving uh, the problems we have, uh, for example, uh, transforming education and, and other things? Are you interested in these kind of projects or companies as well to invest in, or are you... Uh, more like done with that um, role and more intrigued by having other kind of change makers truly land with their own purpose and meaning and help them? I'm more interested now uh, uh, in the latter. I do um, support a large portfolio of uh, investments that either I've made or helped others making. But what I've truly found is is that almost crisis of trust and purpose that we're, that we're seeing in, well, in our societies and in, in organizations. Uh, in general, and how to create, let's call it a meaning-making layer in organization, right. and, and as a constant. So what I found is, is um, it's already great that coaching and and also now therapy is not an individual issue anymore. It's become a corporate topic, especially after the pandemic. But it's not enough just to have a one-off or to have a workshop here or yeah. an event there. It needs just like a like a like a physical gym. It needs that constant gym, that kind of weakened, if not lost, in internal mental muscle that we need to consistently train, and that gets detrained if we're just in our KPI thinking mindset or thinking world. And especially even frustrating if we had when we had a great workshop with a great corporate event where where we all bonded and and saw that there is much more than than just the next goal for for our balance sheet. Um, and then we were back at nine o'clock a.m. and at our desk and wonder um, where is that great feeling? 
where's the camaraderie that we created? Now I'm back in the me space and uh, need to achieve. So if I have, I as an, as, a, as an employee of any company at any level, given level of the hierarchy, have a space that I know I can go back to consistently and grow together with my peers, then I can balance out the transaction KPI driven growth that I need to be in, and that's, that's important, that where my cognitive intelligence is needed, but a space where I can grow my EQ, my emotional uh, intelligence. And when I combine them together, the IQ and the EQ, then I can finally reach a space of CQ, of, well, collective intelligence, of conscious intelligence. And interestingly also, um, well, basically every, every study in that direction shows that that the combination of IQ and EQ going to CQ there, that's where we can grow our ability to deal with complexities exponentially. I so much believe in that. And it's so amazing when you see this, uh, what happens when you say, when you tap into this kind of collective intelligence, it's so much more both fun and creative and innovative. Mm -hmm. And you come up with solutions and perspectives, again, finding those blind spots in a natural way that are just uh, incredibly valuable for, for everybody. What would you say, because I, I see I see companies or let's call them businesses in general as literally instruments that are serving a certain purpose, but they're also serving the purpose of, could serve the purpose of, of healing people at the same time because they're there eight, 10 or whatever hours a day at least, or being engaged, life and work is kind of emerging together very much. So as it is like that, why not use that time and that space also to kind of include all aspects of, of life and have a, some kind of a joint growth journey together? And then people get worried about how do you mix privates and, and professional stuff. But it's not mixing. It's like bringing uh, the full person to work and, and kind of exploring and understanding all dimensions of each person. And in that sense, also tapping into work from that angle is, is extremely rewarding for both. Do you think that's realistic to really see that happen for real? Oh, absolutely. Um, I'm 100% convinced. And also, the, the from an investment point of view, I see basically, and I interestingly, I, I would agree with, the, and I don't agree often with Larry Fink, the, the CEO of BlackRock, the largest investor on the planet, who basically said, if companies without a purpose will eventually lose, I think he called it this, the license of all stakeholders to operate. So if the largest investor on the planet says that, I would say every CEO and CFO on the planet should, should better listen up. But that's not just a, an imperative from one person. Every study that goes into that subject matter shows that it makes transactionally and commercially the best sense ever to truly invest into everything that is sense-making that gives meaning to all stakeholders. And there's various ways to it. What is truly missing is that it's not just a piecemeal here and there. What's missing is a holistic, strategic approach that connects all the dots and that creates a continuum. Is there anything in particular that you would like to see innovate or change immediately? I would say the the, the paradigm shift that we're really uh, that we really need is an understanding of the leadership. Because it always starts at the top at the end of the day. It's not about reaching the next KPIs. That is not about the short-term quarterly results thinking that the, especially the capital markets, the god of the capital markets almost, is, it is, uh, if you allow me to say that, has imposed on, on, on uh, organizations, on corporations and their leadership. It is not that. 
any kind of short-term thinking that is essentially violating the golden principles of the long-term goals of purpose and trust is hurting the company, uh, even the sh even the short-term goals of the company and the all the economic goals of the company. So the mm -hmm. paradigm shift in understanding that the investment in those two main pillars of any future-proof organization is a must-have. And it, just to use... Um, two well-known studies. One was the one from Google's Aristotle project, where they found out after, after years of looking into and not understanding what really makes the difference between a high-performance team and a not high-performing team. Although they're all fantastic people with, with amazing skills and competencies, and uh, the Google HR department and recruitment department definitely made a good job in selecting those. But still, there were huge differences between the teams. Why was that? And the number one reason for a high-performing team was the ones that can operate in a space of psychological safety mm. and trusting each other. So trust is the number one factor for a high-performing team. That's number one. That is for every CFO on the planet to put on his wall and say, this is, this is the number one uh, KPI that I should be looking out for. And the second one is purpose. Um, I've seen easily half a dozen studies in the last uh, five, six years that all proven that truly purpose-driven companies, and purpose-driven companies does not mean you have a, you have five values written on, uh, on on display in your elevator. That is not what it is. It is have you truly embedded your values in the, to the corporate DNA? Do you live them? And when you have that, then you have an alignment between every person's individual purpose with the mission of the company. And those companies that truly have that outperform the market over a period of five years by 42%. Hence, going back to Larry Fink saying, yep, if you don't have that, you literally are, will lose the license to operate by all stakeholders. Yeah, and it's just right today, actually, I had a, a meeting with the, uh, some leaders of a, of a private equity company. And, um, you know, they have a formula for, for creating value, et cetera. And I was asking about the factor that is called, you know, purpose-driven leadership or organization. Like, how do they work with that and more value in the companies? And they say, well, that's not our job. I mean, it's the job of the, um, you know, the managers of the company to, to run that kind of uh, space. And I said, okay, I understand. But do you even ask about it? No, we don't. I said, but if you don't ask about it, if you don't show that you're interested or think it's important or understand that it's important, then nobody will even focus on it. So there is a lot of like hidden potential also, I think, in the, in the private equity world. Not to say that there's a lot of private equities out there that are doing a great job in, in, in working on those things and in, in future-proofing companies, etc. But there's still a, a big uh, group that don't understand these dimensions. So what would you say to them? Like, okay, purpose-driven organizations, great, it sounds good, fine. But like, that's a big job. And how, how do we even go about it? Coming from that space, I mean, I've been in the private equity and VC and investment space for decades. I would say every private equity investor, or any investor that still un doesn't understand that trust purpose, hence conscious leadership is the name of the game, should be looking for another job. To truly believe that, especially in times of chat GDP and AI, to be able to run investment decisions by an Excel spreadsheet, usually done by a junior and analyst, that hasn't seen life is almost a joke. As an investor in those private equity companies that do not have a very clearly defined strategy and a, and a philosophy that, that truly embraces that, I would run. So to be very <laughs> clear about that. 
good response. And it's it's not to kind of, you know, um, nag on, on something or somebody. It's just, again, it's the awareness, you know. Who has the responsibility in a company to bring that awareness to the whole company, right? And then to act from that space. Who has that? Well, it always starts Again, at the top. Yeah. And uh, starting with private equity companies, they are the, the initiators of the next culture. So if they just drive for cash flow optimization, cost reduction, uh, the standard tools, I mean, mm -hmm. everybody, that, that's that's craftsmanship. That's not where the art of investing is. The art of investing is always the culture. And working together with the leadership of the company that has to implement it on a, on a daily basis, first strategic and then operational, to truly work together with them, embrace that as the number one strategic goal, because everything stems from that. If you don't have the right culture in any company, the company will mm. fail. I never forget that Nokia was a case that is still averting. I was invested in a company in the early 2000s that was the first to bring out a digital maps algorithm on, at that time, not really so smart mm -hmm. phones. And um, we sold the company, it was called Gate5, to Nokia. And that later on, the company became Nokia Maps, then became I think the second largest digital mapping company in the world called Here is now owned by the German car industry. And the the conversation with the, with the Nokia leadership was, you basically have now this company that can literally be your next business model. What are you going to do with it? And they thought, well, it's, it's a nice gadget. Uh, I said, no, this will help you moving from a hardware manufacturer to a experience creation company. And then the conversation went on, of course, with Apple. Apple iPhone just came out, the first iPhone. And they kind of laughed about it because they said, oh my God, Apple. They, they want to sell as many phones per year as we sell per day. And we have 200,000 people globally producing phones in factories. So that's not our business model. So not seeing, not having a culture that is open enough for a global transformation that was already ongoing and then falling off a cliff. It's almost what we're seeing right now when we look at the, well, Tesla versus the German car industry, for example, how long they've laughed about it and then, well, are in the midst of missing the boat. And we see that almost with every incumbent in any industry, um, going back to the, uh, the Kodak uh, example. 100 years in the making, over 100,000 people employed, and then a little company called Instagram with, I think at that time, 35 employees, was worth 10,000 times more than the Kodak when it filed mm. for bankruptcy. And all this, of course, um, natural interest and focus on, on AI and, you know, it's going from like, first it was more of a curation discussion. We've all experienced... Uh, AI in indirect ways for, for many, many, many years, but now it's going into more of a, of a creative expression and what it can do, right? So what is your, so far at least, interpretation? I mean, nobody can know, nobody's super expert on this today, but what's your interpretation? What do you see as um, a, a potentially a dilemma here uh, and also especially the, the, the pros of it? How can it serve us? I just read a... Uh study from Goldman Sachs, actually, where they said we expect in the next five to, what was it, seven years, to be up to two-thirds of all jobs in the Western world to be replaced or on the er verge of being replaced by AI. Well, that means huge, <laughs> huge change is coming and much faster than we've ever expected. Actually, AI is today is where it was supposed to be 10 years from now. 
but to reduce it to to kind of an algorithm that that I've mentioned before, AI will take over the IQ space. So the space of the narrative that I was born into, just get your university degree, add another one. And when I was God, when I was just finished, I thought, oh my God, without my PhD, without an additional Harvard MBA, and I already had three university degrees, I'm like nothing. I'm not going to be accepted. That was my literally my 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 narrative. And then I found out as a family father. Oh, no one is ever going to love me for my achievements. That was a big aha moment. I thought, I'm only going to receive love if I achieve enough. And then after dinner with Tony Robbins, uh, of all the people, uh, more than 10 years ago, where I couldn't answer his question that since I'm successful, do I feel fulfilled? Do I feel fulfilled? And I didn't even know the difference between the two. Not even after studying philosophy, which is kind of ridiculous. <laughs> um and that created an aha moment of saying, ah, maybe, I don't know what you do. I didn't know who he was at that time, but you know what, dude, sign me up for it. And I signed up for everything. That was the start of the journey. But going back to your question, the, the algorithm that I look at is IQ plus EQ equals CQ. The IQ only space that we're in will be more and more re be replaced by AI. All you can do is basically be good at Excel spreadsheets going back to being an analyst in a, in a PE company, run investments just by Excel, well, I will in, invest in GDP run investment companies only. Because uh, <laughs> they will definitely outwin every human that believes that they're smarter at Excel spreadsheets. They will not. Um, so IQ only, that's not the space of, of, of where true human intelligence resides. It is us opening the EQ space, the emotional intelligence, adding that to our skills, to our competencies, and then together with others, going into the space of collective wisdom. And we see, the funny thing is, we see that and accept that in all other spaces. Uh, what I mentioned before, in the space of musicians, anybody who's ever seen a symphonic orchestra playing one of the great symphonies has seen dozens of musicians, of which every single one is an individual hero, so to speak, an absolute master in this field, but now they are a true group hero. They, without even looking at the conductor, they feel the room, they feel the others, they know precisely in every millisecond where they have to be, and they are in full coherence. And even the absolute amateur in the audience knows precisely if someone is off note. <laughs> that is coherence here. That is collective wisdom at work. We see it in the military field. Why are the Navy SEALs, as a good example, so brilliant at what they do as a group? Not because the individual soldier in that group is so much better than other special forces, stay in the military context, but they as a group always win. And, and they believe it's even a timing that they have. They have the 0.4 seconds advantage over the adversary on the other side of, of the door. We see it in, in sports. We see it at every, every uh, um, world championship in soccer. The team that plays in full coherence and flow with one another, that's always the one that wins, not the one that has two or three uh, great individual players. That helps. Of course, a Messi helps. But if a Messi is just in for himself, the team will lose. And what's known in these fields, military, sports, uh, music, we somehow have forgotten in the economic world. There it is still 
the old Descartes model, the mechanistic thinking model of the world. I think I therefore am mixed with Taylorism that looks at people as resources, assets only, and tries to to organize them as, as part of the whole machinery that the organization is supposed to be. That is the old thinking. That's, that thinking model of the world is over. And that is what ChatGDP or any AI model that we'll see in the future will just accelerate. And any company that still believes that is the only space that they have to master in is, uh, as an investor, I would just really get out fast. And those companies that will create spaces that allow EQ to be matched with IQ and create rooms or spaces within the organization that creates that meaning-making layer that I mentioned on a continuous basis, those are the ones that will win. When they produce trust and purpose, the breeding ground for a corporate culture that allows to innovate for the future together with any AI model. Yeah. And I would love to see also more collaborations across between companies as well. I mean, even on the border of, of you know, competition in order to create better solutions and collaborate in, in a way, you know, and that also, of course, somebody can say, come on, you're naive. But if you invite more players to the table to, to stretch, everybody needs to stretch themselves somehow to figure out something that is, as you say, beyond the intelligence, uh, AI kind of applied matter more on this kind of more emotional, as you say, collective intelligence uh, level and to see how we can solve problems that we have today in a way that comes from an infinite mind space, right? Precisely, yes. You're either in a deficiency space of mind or in a growth space of mind. It is that below or above the line thinking. Um, it is also already what, what Plato described with his famous cave model. You're either looking at the shadows on the walls, mistaking it for mm -hmm. reality, with just the limited intelligence that our homo sapiens part of the brain has, or you turn around and find out where that light is coming from that, that produces mm -hmm. the shadows. And that is the infinite space that you mean of of all human intelligences, and not just yeah. the part of the brain that allows to for seven variables to uh, uh, to be calculated mm -hmm. at the same time. Seven variables is not a lot, and AI is definitely able to play with many more variables. Is any part of you at this moment uh, a bit anxious about uh, this potential risk that uh, also exists that? humanity as such will go extinct, that there is a potential 5-10% risk that the experts are claiming exists if this goes out of our hands? Well, I wouldn't claim to be smarter than the thousand uh, experts that just signed a letter that, that uh, I think uh, mm. Musk and, and Bill Gates in, initiated. So the risk is definitely there. And I would say I'm, I'm far too uneducated in that space to, to, have a, to have an expertise that I would trust myself. So I follow their lead and just logically, I, I absolutely understand that, that danger to be. But at the same time, I think we, we can trust far more in the human potential. The limitations of our mindset, that we, the mechanistic mindset is also the danger to only see dangers from that space. Yeah. And the, the potential of especially the collaborative mindset is that we haven't, haven't even started mm, to true. into this. So we're just discovering, call it the operating model and how to mm -hmm. tap into that. It's not that we haven't been there before. We have. <laughs> it's, it's, I think every every uh, tribe in the Amazonian with their shamanic traditions is, is doing this on a constant right. space. How do we translate that and how do we go back to what we've had in the antiquity is, is, is now the name of the game and, and uh, how to connect it with our 
technologically far advanced world, but emotionally, well, we're still toddlers. Why is that? Huh. Are you asking me as a historian? <laughs> <laughs> Whatever role you want to take. The big paradigm shift happened in the fourth century. It would now go deep into the space of, of uh, seeing of understanding where, where religion as part of an institution, uh, where, where, where the state and, and religious and religion became one, in, especially in the fourth century when the, when the Catholic Church merged with the Roman Empire, that created a start of a, a certain mindset that was not inclusive anymore, to, to use a modern word. But most of all, it actually happened after the religious wars in the, the 30th year war in, in, in the 17th uh, century. So in the mid-1650, when the 30th war, the, the Westphalian uh, Peace uh, Treaty came out, we looked at, at least in Middle Europe, at a devastation of 50% of the population. And then the Black Plague came on top. So um, if we believe that we're looking at, at uh, tough times right now with, with complexities and then fast-changing a fast-changing world, nothing than what happened 500 years ago. So, and the answer to that was to make it very brief: a doctrine of an absolute of an absolute state, Thomas Hobbes, mixed with Descartes' model of the world that we have to be um, maître possesseur de nature, the owner and, and possessors of nature, and just use our cognitive mind to to conquer it. And that you mix with the utilitaristic thinking model that was developed by thinkers like. Mills and, and uh, others to create our capitalistic thinking mindset that we have right now, which is only mechanistic, which is basically by design deficient. It is below the line because um, it puts us in this mindset of biochemically speaking, a dopamine driven short-term uh, satisfaction that we want to achieve. And we believe that Doing more and not being more is the name of the game. It's the other way around. Exactly. And now our challenge is how do we combine both without throwing the baby out with the mm. bathwater? Because we, we live in an excellent, we've created an unbelievable potential system. I'm a capitalist by heart. I'm an entrepreneur by heart. I believe it's it's amazing what we've created as 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 the human species, but it also it reached its limitations. And hence, the just IQ-only based transactional thinking model of the world has come to its end. Now we need to see what makes us truly human, what makes us truly feel alive. And this is definitely not just adding more to the same. So quantitative, any, any quantitative answer is not it. It's the qualitative answer. And in terms of consciousness, it is now expanding consciousness to the EQ space and to the collective space to the collective wisdom that con mm. connects us all. And for that, we don't have yet a thinking model that uh, steps into the traditions of the great thinkers and connects the dots in a way that we can then implement into an operating system for our societies and our mm. organizations. But we're taking the first step. I, I couldn't agree more on your, on your kind of um, backdrop analysis here. But... Every time we talk about this in, in a, you know, a corporate space, they go, yes, I agree, but how do we do this? How do we then bridge over, as you say, to um, amplifying and be more aware of this EQ part and the collective part? And uh, I'm going back to an old, the old principle of the power of story, right? So what is the new narrative? What is the new story that we are actually transitioning into or we are in the midst of, in a way, that somebody could 
express in a way that makes it come alive and that everybody can relate to and that feels the way it felt when they were watching your movie, The Planet uh, Earth, right? Like when it was just pure silence in the room where everybody understood what it is to be human and everybody understood the pure, real meaning of sustainability, what that is, that kind of life, right? So if, if there would be such a narrative, uh, such a, a kind of a visual expression somehow about what we are longing for, <laughs> but we are not aware of, would be fantastic. I think that would kind of increase, increase the speed of, of um, people's realization and, and uh, line of actions. So maybe that's the next film project. <laughs> <laughs> well, believe it or not, but especially being European, I think we don't need to reinvent yeah. the wheel. It's been invented. I'm a fan of, of the Greeks. The, the, the whole concept of aliveness, what it truly means to feel fully alive as a mm -hmm. human, is what we call it the Argos. We basically call this harmony between our inner and our outer language, the inner and outer dialogue, what we call conversational mm. fluency. <laughs> so be conversational fluent with our inner dialogue and the outer dialogue, mm. and then be conversational fluent as a group to reach that coherency. Mm. That process by itself will lead to a collective wisdom mm. moment. And that creates the narrative that then carries mm. the answer. So I think we, we can trust in that process. I think we find a lot of the answers in that wisdom that was already created and connecting it to our ability to basically find a solution for any mm. problem that's out there with our incredibly advanced technology and, and uh, ability to create innovation. Mm. So to connect that ability that also created AI and will that AI will create that will help us more and more on an accelerating path to find technological innovation or innovation in the cognitive intelligence space and connect it to the infinite power of the collective human intelligence as the, the the we wisdom, the emotional mm. intelligence. We connect those two. I think the potential for the human race and the planet as a whole is infinite. So in the midst of this, if you would give like one piece of advice to a leader today, what would that be? Distrust in the belief system of, of Excel spreadsheets <laughs> and finding, or of algorithms. <laughs> Trust the collective wisdom that lies in your organization. If provided, you create a space mm -hmm. of psychological safety, of a space where you can have the conversations that truly matter and the space where you find alignment of the individual purpose of your people, of all stakeholders with the mission, the true mission and vision of the organization that you lead. That's a good formula. Yep. So all in all, what do you think is the most important thing for companies to focus on right now? Do you really trust your people and do your people trust you as a leader? And the same for a company. Is your company a trustworthy stakeholder for the society and the planet as a whole? And if not, why not? And the answer you will always find with the people if you truly connect. And I, I literally speak to the leaders at the top of the food chain yeah. first, because they the, the fish always starts smelling from the top. And um, it's never been as true as today. And you cannot outrun the competition anymore by producing faster or selling faster. It's not that anymore. It's where true innovation lies. And true innovation doesn't come anymore from just your laboratory. It comes from the collective wisdom of mm. the whole organization. We move already moved from a shareholder to a stakeholder 
the paradigm in business. I believe we're now fast forward uh, moving from a stakeholder to a purpose holder paradigm. Stephen, my last question to you is this one, even a bigger perspective than before, if possible. What do you think the world needs most at this time? Anything that connects people on a deeply emotional level, that permutates any, any societal narrative, any mass that we're born into and connects us on who we are truly as humans. And uh, this is really the core of the... Um, experience that I had producing my mm -hmm. earth, that it reached everybody. I've been, never forget that, I've been in a bar in the Andes at three and a half thousand meters and my earth was playing on a crooked TV set and the Indians were watching it mm -hmm. and it was quiet in the room and then they were talking about it and had the same conversations that I experienced in at premieres in the US, be it in Los Angeles or be it in San Sebastian. It was the same reaction. It was a deep connection mm. at a human DNA level that uh, I, I believe has the true potential of our, yeah. our species. Beautiful. And it, I'm sure that this is always going to be one one big part of your legacy that through that movie, actually. And uh, it mm. would be wonderful if each and one of us could somehow make sure that we leave behind some kind of instrument of connecting, as you say, people uh, in this way, whether it's big groups or small groups, doesn't matter. If everybody does that, I think it will move mountains. Everybody yeah, has sure. the potential to do so. I read, I think it was on your LinkedIn or somewhere, you wrote, live without pretending, love without depending, listen without defending, and speak without offending. Especially the last one, that's very often a challenge because it's a uh, a space of comfort when you're offending you're you're judging you're um you're being righteous you want to know better and that is where true conversation mm. shuts off so mm. that's that's <laughs> always my my challenge hence my upbringing as as a german lawyer son of a german lawyer so action doesn't get more left brain than that oh it's funny <laughs> okay stefan thank you so much for being on the show thanks for sharing so to find out more you'll find links and show notes on corporateunplugged.com And to make it easy for you to find and listen to this show again, subscribe on your favorite podcast app and share this episode with one person you know would benefit from hearing it. I'm Vesna Luca and you've been listening to Corporate Unplugged. Until next time, live with purpose and remember to unplug. Ciao.